recorded live. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Buckle your chin straps, kids. It's time for another episode of Radio J-Dub. Radio J-Dub, as always, the audio incarnation of the most interesting independent sports blog on the web, dubsism.wordpress.com. You can find us at Dubsism on Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, D-U-B-S-I-S-M. First page search result on Google. Got a big podcast today and we're going to get right into it being joined today by bruce burns from sports attitudes if you're a regular listener of this podcast you have heard him here before well you're about to hear him again today we're going to break down the joy and the marathon that is the college football bowl season check it out kids it's going to be a lot of fun And now, despite numerous requests, here's Johnny! Bruce Burns from Sports Attitude joining us to talk about the college football bowl season, which is starting pretty much as we're recording this podcast. The first Saturday usually means some games that you don't care about, but we'll probably hit on them a little bit anyway. Then we'll go through all kinds of stuff that you'll need to know through the next two weeks of college football enjoyment. Bruce, how are you doing today? I'm fine, J-Dub. How are you this morning? <laughs> well, you know, um, the last time we talked, we talked a little Eagles football. Today we're going to talk some college football. I think there'll be a whole lot of pain, suffering, and delight in all of that. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of times when people talk about college football, especially now this year, the overarching theme I think that we've got to hit first is just the staggering and I mean staggering number of bowl games that we actually face. What do, what do you think about that? Well, you know, it's funny because I know when we had talked before, uh, I think we both agreed that we were, you know, the kind of people that were going to watch uh, a bowl game at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on, you know, Tuesday uh, between Christmas and New Year, or at least have our... Yep. our you know, used to have our ear to to what was going on. Um, I 
I grew up loving bowl games, and New Year's Day, of course, was the culmination, and you had the two polls, and there was always this tremendous debate about, you know, depending on how everything played out, who would be number one, and there was multiple games involved, and there was, you know, a, a handful of teams who could make the argument one way or the other that they were the top team in the country, and I think, I, I think to me it was um, not trying to be old school and say, well, it was better back in that day, but I can remember some real, real enthusiasm and some real heated arguments and controversy and, and, and fun stuff that was generated from having those uh, AP and UPI polls and having uh, more than just one or two games even on New Year's Day that actually would determine who would be declared the de facto national champion. And uh, when, when the bowl games got in, the numbers got into the mid-20s, I still enjoyed the fact that teams that were going, you know, 8-3, uh, and three, I guess when they were playing 11 games and didn't have a conference championship, um, you know, the teams that were getting rewarded for a good season, which was what a bowl was supposed to be all about, uh, but now, of course, I, uh, as you know, I consider a completely bloated, gluttonous, um, <laughs> you know, ESPN has their TV windows to fill, and they want to have football on the entire time between uh, the, the pre-Christmas and, you know, post-New Year. And so they write the checks. They own some of the bowls outright. Other ones, they make sure they prop them up. And at the end of the day, it's really all about, you know, a, a, a corporate conglomerate um, having these games now where, you know, if you're, if you love football and you're okay with two teams from the very same conference, uh, you know, one, six and six, one, seven and five, uh, being in what you want to call a bowl game, um, then enjoy. Uh, but for me, you know, I now have to at least draw the line and try and be a little discriminating and while, you know, I admit I'll, I'll keep an eye and watch, you know, most all of these games, I'm very discouraged by the fact that this thing has gotten so out of hand. Well, I mean, your thoughts on that? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about corporate conglomerates and, and how, you know, actually it's a twofold thought. One is that you kind of saw this coming when all of a sudden you went from the Sugar Bowl to the USF&G Sugar Bowl or – my favorite this year, the Battle <laughs> Fiesta Bowl. Uh, my all-time favorite was the, um, you know, the uh, Poolan Weed Eater Bowl. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but that told you what was coming in the sense that, okay, corporate money is going to drive this. ESPN got involved. They got a nice way to give themselves some programming on those usually pretty dead weekdays in between the holidays they knew there were plenty of guys like us that you know oh you know um byu at miami in the bahamas bowl yeah i got fun <laughs> there why not you know um and then to take that a step further you you talk about okay in the old days when you had about 10 bowl games and there was those ones on new year's day that mattered for your de facto national champion championship, which are still the big bowl games we're going to talk later, you know, Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, blah, blah, blah. And we've had this flood of games down the line, with the exception of the addition of the national championship game, you've just let more and more little guys into the picture. And one of the things that 
that we never really talk about when we talk about bowl games and the college football playoff, and I touched on this a blog a long, long time ago, is that anything that you want to do to try and get away from this gluttonous, bloated model, as you you called it, is going to involve you got to take care of those little guys because the guy at the Who's a What's This Bowl in, in Shreveport, Louisiana, well, that's, you know, that's, you know, the Chamber of Commerce guys there, that's their day to fill up their hotels and sell some cheeseburgers at the restaurant, and you can't take that away from them. You know, you got to include them somehow if we're going to change anything, like when we start talking about expanding the playoff or any of that sort of stuff, but... At the end of the day, I guess it comes down to, okay, so there's people that are upset about five and seven teams going to bowl games, but if you got the day off or, you know, a guy like us, are we still going to watch those? I am. Yeah, I am too. And 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 it's, uh, it's, it's entertainment. I mean, it's, it's, it's big business. It's entertainment. Um, uh, it's... It, 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 the, the, the second... The, the sub... The, the subplot to all this is in what context are these coaches and these players approaching these games? Because if we leave it the way it is and we say, okay, it's all right for two-thirds of the FCS to be in the postseason, and this is this is really what we want, and records don't really matter. We just want these guys to be able to have another three weeks of practice and gear up for next year and and uh, reward seniors and all that. The, the the problem comes when you start having players looking around and declaring for the draft before the game ball game begins. When you have coaches who have already left town to start their new jobs, uh, and then what happens is the, the team that takes the field, you're not sure collectively where their heads are at. You're not sure if the assistants are looking over their shoulder or taking calls during the day about their next job instead of worrying about game planning. And then you start worrying about the competitiveness of the bowl games themselves. So are we guilty of watching a flawed product at that point? Because we would like to be idealists and think that all uh, 40 of these bowl games, these guys are going to come in with guns a-blazing and they are going to be uh, looking for nothing less than victory, and they're going to leave it all out there on the field. And some of these guys, these players, are going to be worried about saving themselves uh, physically for the NFL or their next season, or they may be thinking about transferring. You've got assistants who are now interim head coaches. You've got head coaches who are looking over the current head coach's shoulder. And there's this whole chaos that erupts um, that that I, I wonder, uh, and we see it, we see it all the time, you know, playing the bowl challenges, bowl mania. Um, I know you have a bowl challenge going right now. Yep. You know, it, the, the, the worst thing I tell people, if you're going to play money in Vegas, the one thing you don't touch is the bowl season because you have no idea what mindset these coaches or these players are going to have when they take the field. And we see a lot of games where the team that we thought had no shot uh, blows the other guy away just because these teams weren't mentally or physically or combined ready to play the game. So if, well, that's okay, you know, if, that, if we can live with that too, then we leave it the way it is. 
Yeah, and there's and there's a lot of meat on the bone in, in what you just said. Now I'll try to hit hit everything that I was that I was thinking of as you were saying it. And the, and the first one when you mentioned Vegas and don't touch the bowl season because here's the thing. Okay, that's another that's another group of people that make a lot of money on this stuff because. And I'll use I'll use your very own Temple University there in Philadelphia as there a there you go there you Temple go. Temple's going to a bowl game Temple's actually ranked in somebody's top twenty five outside of their conference and outside of Philadelphia I don't think anybody really cares about Temple really knows anything about Temple but Agreed. you also but you also know that Temple's got a fan base out there as every college football team does. And a lot of those people are just just to have something to talk about during during bowl season. They're gonna they're gonna get online and they're gonna put twenty bucks on Temple just to say they did. You know, uh, absolutely, exactly. And then you hit another really good point when you talked about um, um, practices. Um, a lot of people they look at just the payouts from bowl games, and some of these bowl games now are getting down to a hundred thousand dollars for a payout and. That's not even going to cover your travel costs, okay? But the real gold mine in this is the extra practices because we all know the NCAA clamps down on this stuff so hard that you have to have only a certain number of practices, and your practices could only be so long. And, you know, your yeah. coaches, you know, I mean, Joe Paterno almost got put on probation 10 years ago because he walked by a practice that he wasn't supposed to be at, you know, that, mm-hmm. that kind of shit. So. Mm-hmm. When you talk about these bowl games, a lot of it isn't just the television stuff that we were talking about with ESPN. A lot of it is, hey, here's how we get a lot of these little guys to get the extra practices, get the extra stuff. Also, I kind of wonder if there isn't, you know, because we've always had, like, you know, the Senior Bowl and the East-West game. I also wonder if a lot of these games aren't being put together so that NFL scouts got other shots to see guys in games that aren't necessarily set up to be showcases. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now having said that, um, when you look at the slate of bowl games that we have, and what do we, are we we're up to 40. Is that the correct yeah. number? Yeah, I believe, yeah, yeah, 40 without the national championship. Okay, so and there's 120-some teams, 130 teams, in D1 big-time college football. So, like, the top two-thirds gets in. So this is kind of like the NBA playoffs at this point. Okay? Right. So right. Speaking, of, speaking of playoffs, the people who say, well, five and seven teams shouldn't get bowl games, you can turn around and say, okay, well, a lot of you guys are NFL fans. What about those seven and teams that are getting in the playoffs, like maybe our very own Eagles? You know, if that's mm-hmm. the way the game, if that's the way the game's set up, then – that's the way the game's set up. If, if you don't like that, then you need to change that up front. You can't get and say, well, no, we got to change that because we can't have teams with losing records getting this piece of the pie. Well, the, maybe you should have thought of that before you set the game up that way. Right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So now, now that I've said that, here's the question for you. So we got 40 bowl games. Is there one, and you know, like we said, we've already admitted that we're the guys who will consume this product, and, and we get that. And so, you know, a lot of this is really our fault because we're the eyeballs that are tuned into that, you know, weed eater bowl or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but the, the question that becomes, is there one of these bowl games that you look at and you go, okay, that's, 
that's where we drew the line. That's where we went too far. If we we have that because now we're just creating stuff for television or whatever purpose. Is there one of those that jumps out at you? I would say uh, probably the one that jumps out at me is the Heart of Dallas Bowl. <laughs> is it wrong that I always want to call that the Heart of Darkness Bowl? No, no. I, they, they, they're synonymous in Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> the the, the, uh, the the thing there was, uh, I you know, it's it's obviously they uh, they feel sorry for Dallas because they took the Cotton Bowl and they put it in Jerry World, uh, <laughs> and so they you know had to throw a bone back to you know the Lone Star uh, the Lone Star State and and. And give them that, but I think uh, I think you know it's funny going back to the absolutely the best name was the Pool in Weed Eater Independence Bowl, and and yet that's one of our and, and yet that bowl in Shreveport is one of our oldest bowls, and 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 has actually provided us with some very entertaining games. But yeah, I think um, you know you know I don't even think. I don't even think the Bahamas Bowl was a big jump because I think I, I you know last year that was kind of cool seeing those two teams uh, 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 go at it uh, in a makeshift you know a makeshift uh, what was obviously a soccer stadium I guess in the Bahamas mm-hmm. and and um, you know some it's I've always been I've always thought it was cool to see football games at non-traditional football sites in other words. Um, you know uh, the pinstripe bowl in Yankee Pinstripe State. bowl, yep. You know, I think I think that's so cool. I think it's you know as long as the dimensions are such that you're not you know have a Soldier Field situation where a guy's got an eight yard end zone and he's running into a brick wall. You know, if he scores a touchdown. <laughs> uh, but at Northwestern Illinois uh, debacle from a few years ago. But the um, the the uh, you know just the fact that they're going to play. Um, uh, the bowl with uh, uh, trying to think the uh, the cactus bowl. The cactus bowl is usually played at um, at Tempe at Arizona mm-hmm. State Stadium, but they're going to play that at Chase Field, home of the Diamondbacks, this year because the Arizona State Stadium is under renovation. Now we could go into a discussion about Arizona State playing the game literally on their home field, but. Um, uh, they are playing it this year at uh, the baseball stadium. And I always thought, you know, it was cool. Um, the St. Petersburg Bowl, they stuff inside the Tropicana Dome and things like mm-hmm. that. I, I, you know, I, I, I get this weird, I get this admittedly weird, um, uh, cool vibe about seeing football games in non-traditional sites. And so, uh, I don't have a problem with any of that, but I think when they when they came up with a heart of Dallas ball, I think that's when I realized that we had 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 our fill. What about you? Well, I got a couple a couple of things. One, I'm with you on the non traditional site thing. As a hockey fan, call me crazy, but I I get a little bit of a chubster for this winter classic stuff where we'll put uh, we'll put a hockey game in a football stadium or we'll put a hockey game at Fenway Park or you know those kind of things. So I get the cool aspect of that. Another thing you touched on is when you talk about Arizona State playing at their home field. Well, another part of what I said earlier about taking care of the little guy and taking care of the local better, or not better business bureau, but the local chamber of commerce guys, 
it's no accident that Arizona State's playing a home game because they know that they're going to they're going to bring in more of the home fans especially with a smaller bow game where the opponent probably won't travel as well. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the military bowl is designed in case Navy doesn't get to a larger bowl, they can play a bowl game and, you know, on their home stadium, that sort of thing. Exactly. Just like, you know, it ain't no accident that the Las Vegas bowl is going to feature BYU and Utah. I mean, they're both about a six hour drive from Vegas. Those fan bases just hop in the car and drive right on down. You know, there you go. Yep. You fill up, fill up your 40,000-seat stadium for nothing on that deal. But and to me, and i, I got to be careful how I say this because I'm probably going to take some shit for, for, for bringing this up as the thing that I think we call a bowl game, and it really isn't. And that's this first one we're going to see at noon today. Uh, by the time this podcast game will already be over, but the one that uh, – we're going to play at noon on ABC, and it's the Air Force Reserve Celebration Bowl. And <laughs> Here's what it is, okay? It's two of the old traditional black colleges. We put right. them together. We put them in Atlanta. We give them a national TV spot. We call it a bowl game. Okay, here's my problem with it. When we go back and we talk about how a lot of these bowl games are set up for making some money for the local community and how we're talking about some of these games are set up for bringing in NFL scouts to see people who they normally wouldn't see at some of the bigger schools. I can't make an argument in my head that this game does either one. And before somebody sharpens up their internet crayon and try and tell me I'm a racist because I think that games between these traditional back colleges really don't matter that much, well, a couple of things. Stop and think here, okay? When when major colleges integrated their football programs in the 60s, that's kind of when those schools, the tra- traditional black schools, that's when they kind of stopped mattering in terms of producing NFL talent. I mean, the last guy I can think of that was a really good player coming out of one of those co- schools, and I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to write me and say, oh, what about so-and-so? And, okay, great. You know, yeah, I didn't do my homework specifically on this. But I remember when Grambling was pumping out guys like Doug Williams and Charlie Joyner, and they don't do that anymore, you know? Right. And, you know, I Eddie would, Robinson. I would, I yeah, would okay, volunteer, you know. I would volunteer uh, uh, Jerry Rice, uh, Mississippi Valley State. Okay, uh, that's still 30 um, years ago. And I would uh, go with, oh, I just. Uh, now I lost. Now I lost. When I said Jerry Rice, I lost the other fellow. Um, but in any event, uh, you know, I did. I uh, I would like to. I would like to see. I I do watch the historically black college games when they're on. The beginning of the season, they usually have one to start the season for yep. some reason down in the middle of the afternoon. Another TV window. Well, we'll give you this game, and you know, the end of August in Orlando when it's 100 degrees, but, you know, at least it gives them national television exposure. Um, but I I, um, I think that is probably as a result of a, a, a you know, a lobbyist group, uh, you know, going, uh, going before the powers to be and say, look, you know, we want, you know, we want some airtime too. And I yeah. – I I don't know. I was surprised when it popped up on the radar too, because you do see you do see the um, 
the games uh, in the Superdome at the end of the year, uh, you know, the SWAC championship, things like that. Um, but uh, I, you know, they might as well come to the party too. But the, the, the thing there is, is then you're talking about, um, you know, uh, what I call the old one double A. Uh, yep. you know, you're talking about you're talking about a different division. So now we're in a different division with bowl games, and I don't know what kind of precedent we're setting there. Well, and that's yeah, you 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 um, you you beat me to my punch there, and 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 but you made you said it better than I could have. So I you know more power to you. But you're exactly right. Is that you know this is not Division One One A football. It's they're at what we call FCS now, the art, artist formerly known as Division One A. And you're right when you say, well, there's probably some sort of political aspect to this, and that's my problem. I don't care about the schools involved. I don't care about the players involved. I watch college football as part of taking me away from all the other shit I got to deal with in life. And one of those things is I got to deal with race and politics in this country. And I, I want three and a half hours on a Saturday where I. That's out of my head. I'm just watching guys play football. And I watch that game, and I feel that stuff just seeping back into my head. And, I mean, I'm not trying to turn this into the fucking Limbaugh program here, but keep your politics out of my sports. That's why I like sports. Is that is that hard to understand? No, not at all. And I remember my other name, Steve McNair from Alcorn State. Alcorn, yeah. And, and again, there's another guy. 20 years ago, and, and I loved Steve McNair. I thought Steve McNair should have won the Heisman that year, but yeah. is what it is. Um, but, but my point is, is that, you know, in the 60s, you had all kinds of guys that were coming from Grambling into the NFL, and now it don't happen because, let's be honest, if you've got a choice between going to Mississippi Valley State or Alabama, what are you going to pick? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. Well, okay. you don't. Want, I mean, I know you don't. You don't want to turn into the Rush Limbaugh show. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I can go. I can go in another direction, uh, but but along parallel lines with you with regards to the military. I can. I'm as pro-military as the next guy, but I am also very anti-war, and I also don't want my military during my sporting events. And as we know, there's been a lot of stuff come to the forefront lately about all the money that has been sent uh, to uh, professional football teams, uh, professional baseball teams, uh, the leagues, uh, checks that have been written by the military in order to get appreciation days, in order to get these uh, reunions with families that are not surprises at all, but actually are not are organized and paid for um, yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, taxpayer money being funneled into sporting events. Uh, NASCAR is like watching a, uh, you know, a, a Republican Party political rally. Um, when it comes to, uh, you know, promoting the flyovers and the red, white, and blue and, and, and uh, the guns, the blazing, and any Fox sporting event uh, has so much, this is pro, this is college, uh, has so many militaristic overtones that I, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want that during my entertainment period either. There's a time and place for that. Um, and so that's one thing that I have, have had a a personal beef with and have been, um, 
struggling with is the fact of reading all these uh, columns that are coming up where people are starting to figure out that a lot of these things that we're seeing, uh, these subtle messages that are being embedded into our sporting events uh, are promoting uh, recruiting for the military, uh, you know, trying to prop up the idea that we have to just spend and spend and spend on de- on defense, uh, and and the warmongering that we uh, churn up during what's supposed to be three three and a half hours of watching uh, college kids play ball. You know, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this uh, as a guy. My dad was a career Air Force guy. I grew up on Air Force bases. I'm an ex military myself. I agree with you. Um, again, keep keep your real world stuff out of my sports. That's why I'm there. Um, you, when you said there's a time and a place for that, well, you've got one of those right there in your very own backyard. You know, go crazy over the Army Navy game. I don't have an issue with that. But what I have an issue with, and especially when it comes to light that the you know the Pentagon is paying a lot of these pro teams to put on these to put on these celebrations. And it's like, I don't do the pay for patriotism thing. If you want to do this, you do it out of the gesture of doing it. You don't cash a check for doing it. And, you know, in a time and place where we've got real things that we got to worry about in this country, we should not be funneling money towards displays. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, now that we've baited the waters with people to write us some hate mail, dubsism at yahoo.com, at dubsism on Twitter. <laughs> uh, you know, you can find Bruce Burns at his blog at sportsattitude.wordpress.com. Uh, yeah, sharpen great. up your internet crayons and tell us how wrong we are. That's the joy of internet podcasting and doing the kind of shit that we do. Now, now that we've said that, and we oh, I just want to I just want to have one more disclaimer. My dad was in the Korean War, so I just want to I just want to proudly put that out there as well. Okay, um, that, and that's fine. You know, I, I, we won't we won't go all point counterpoint here. I won't go Dan Ig- or Dan Aykroyd and say Bruce, you ignorant slut, or anything good like that. Um, although we can certainly do that on a future podcast. I'm always I'm always open to some just shameless name calling. But um, now that we've gone through all that, let's what we're talking about. Let's actually just start talking about some football games. What do you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, uh, I have, uh, been, uh, looking at the, looking at the columns and the articles, uh, the write-ups, uh, watching a little TV the last, uh, last few days. So, um, I think we can have an intelligent conversation about this glut of, uh, of uh, frivolity that's about to be set loose on upon the world. All right. Well, um, why don't you uh, why, don't, why don't you start? And um, you said intelligent conversation, so that means you're definitely driving the bus on that. I mean, oh my god. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Pick, I mean, like I said, we've got the two or the three games today. On the day we're recording this, and just like record these things live, so by the time you actually listen to this podcast, that Vegas Bowl with BYU and Utah, and that uh, Armed Force or our Air Force Celebration Bowl is going to be over, and, and there's what the New Mexico Bowl is also today. Is that the other one I'm missing? Uh, you got the uh, the Cure Bowl, the New Mexico Bowl, the Las Vegas Bowl, the Camellia Bowl, and the New Orleans Bowl. Wow, so there's all kinds of football that we're not going to really 
talk about, unless you want to, you want to mention them, or we're going to be talking about games that are going to be over by the time anybody listens to this. So let's 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 talk about games that are going to be after people get this podcast on probably Monday. Right. Okay. Um, the, uh, the the one thing I wanted to say about the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, aside from the fact it's one of my favorites, because in Boise they usually have inclement weather, and I'm also a sucker for uh, football in the elements. Um, <laughs> U- U- Utah State is going to get back a guy who's had more bad luck as any college athlete I think I've seen in recent years, and that's their quarterback at Utah State for the Aggies, Chucky Keaton. Now, this, oh yeah, this, yeah. This, That's a, this, you know, this isn't a guy who's going to play uh, next level, but this is going to be his truly final final game, and um, he's about as hard luck story as uh, as, as any you would want to research. And uh, you know, Utah State, one of those six and six teams, um, playing the Akron Zips at seven and five. Um, Utah State, a uh, uh, you know, like a touchdown favorite. Um, I just I just want to just give a shout out to Chucky Keaton because in when he was healthy and 100% when he first started out he looked like he might be a next level guy he was that good a quarterback I don't know if you had a chance to see him play over his career or not Oh yeah yeah I I totally agree with you and you you know here's a guy that just you know a lot of talent looked like he was gonna gonna do some things uh, with the Aggies there and. Um, yeah, it didn't happen, and you know, like you said, he's he's not a guy that's going to go to the next level. But you know, it's one of those things that when you're a college football fan, as opposed to an NFL fan, you get those stories. You get that guy that you know you you're pulling for. You want things to go well for him, and after he's moved on to something after football, you hope that his experiences at both the college level and as a football player serve him well the rest of his life you know what i'm saying right right exactly and and uh, and then um in in complete counter to that the day before you've got the miami beach bowl which is uh at the marlin stadium which takes us back to our whole love of of having uh football games and non-football venues uh, a guy who is going to be next level is Western Kentucky's uh, Brandon uh, Doherty. Uh, the, the guy leads the FBS with 45 touchdown passes this year, and Western Kentucky averages 44 points a game. Um, that is going to be an, an interesting encounter they have with South Florida, who you would think after all those stats I said about the Hilltoppers would be a – a huge underdog, but I guess because of the fact uh, South Florida might be, you know, pretty excited about playing in their own in backyard, um, it should be a very competitive game. But this this kid, uh, Brandon Doherty, I saw uh, him last year in his bowl game, and and also against Marshall to close out last season, and he's gotten nothing but gotten better as the season's gone along. And there's a guy who is going to be playing in the NFL next year. Yeah, I I agree. Um, you know the the thing that like and I alluded to this earlier. A lot of these games are not about just NFL scouts seeing guys that have NFL talent. A lot of these games are for the people who call me up. And I don't know as a college football fan if you have this same problem. 
But when you get to April and you start getting into the NFL draft and people start reading the Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay, ESPN big board kind of stuff, and they'll call you up and say, hey, what do you know about this defensive lineman from such and such state that my team's supposed to take? You watch football. Do you know him? You get that a mm-hmm. lot? Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that all the time, too. That's, that's another reason why I like some of these games because, to be honest, you know, we got lives, we got jobs, we got you know, we got shit going on in our lives. It's not like we can pull the Ron Jaworski bottle and say, you know, I watched four hundred and seventy five hours of tape. <laughs> you know, so you know, but these games help me with that because, you know, this is a slow time of year. You get to watch some football. My D V R will fill up with all these games and I'll at least zip through them. And then when, you know, my guys, you know, call me up and say, Hey, you know, uh, Hey, uh, you know the Patriots are going to draft this other guy from Rutgers. I think that's a, their nineteenth one by now. Uh, what, what do you know about this guy? Like, you know, because you know I'm dialed into Rutgers somehow just because I watch college football. But right. Um, anyway, let me. Speaking of, of you know, I, I mentioned that you know Temple, you're a Philadelphia guy. Temple's in your backyard. Um, Temple, they got their bowl game. I and I'm forgetting which bowl game it is, but they're playing Toledo. And right. I, and I live in the heart of Matt country. I've seen a lot of Toledo football. People can be very easily dismissive of Mac teams, and they really, really shouldn't. Um, now, having having Temple in your backyard, have you seen a lot of them? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen more Temple football this year than I have in prior years. Okay. Well, I mean, Temple football has been watchable for the first time in, in a lot of years. That, that is a direct correlation, yes. <laughs> okay, so you know Toledo, the Mac is kind of like the Mac is kind of like what the SEC used to be before everybody went you know knuckle dragging defense and ground and pound offenses. When you know they love to throw the football, uh, like Bowling Green was one of the leading offenses in the country. They they um, you know spread offense, throw the ball, a lot of. Um, a lot of what Chip Kelly's offense wishes that it were, uh, mm-hmm. just you know, go back to our common source of pain. But how mm-hmm. does a team like that? How does a team like that stack up against a Temple club? Well, I uh, I want to touch on something that you said, which I I actually had thought about before we even we even started the podcast today. This is something I thought about a couple of days ago. I don't know if it's um, too easy a comment to make, but I think part of the disrespect that the Mac gets is because they try and utilize uh, the month of November for those midweek football games as a way to gain exposure and try and stay competitive with the big boys. And I think maybe because of these Tuesday, Wednesday night uh, games that, that the ESPN uses their TV windows and the Mac is more than happy to, to sell their games off the to be on those nights and, and, and disrupt the usual flow of a seven day schedule and playing on Saturdays with the cookout and, and, you know, the tailgating and all that. I think Mm -hmm. maybe the Mac, I think maybe the Mac gets some kind of uh, disrespect simply because uh, they're unusual in their scheduling. And so people perceive them to be on a lower level, but I'll tell you what, I am a Mac football fan too. And I and I'm one of those guys who watches those games midweek, and I have a lot of respect for Mac football. Temple was a member of the Mid American. They had a cup of coffee with that conference between yep. getting kicked out of the Big East and before uh, they landed in the American. So, um, 
you know, this, this Boca Raton Bowl is, is uh, Temple's thrilled because they had a great year and they managed to keep Matt Rule as their head coach. So they are, they are fired up and they're as excited, I think, as they can be about playing in this game. And the only concern that I have for it not being one of the best bowl games of the whole season is um, Matt Campbell, the head coach of the Rockets, uh, left for the Iowa State job. And I, mm-hmm. know that, uh, I know that Jason Candle, the offensive coordinator uh, for the last seven years, is, is stepping into the breach at Toledo. But I always get concerned about how the players feel knowing that the guy who recruited them and they were going to, you know, sell out for is now, you know, gone off the you know, greener pastures. So I'm a little worried about Toledo's mindset. I get, I get, I, that's the Vegas odds maker in me. I get nervous when I, see coaches on the move and other guys coming in and how the team's going to react. But I think that's going to be a – I think that should be a great bowl game. And I have a lot of respect for all the teams in the MAC, and I think they play uh, as good a football um, as anybody from top to bottom. Yeah, and I would agree with you. I, I, and just to, just to hit on something you said, I think the problem with – the respectability of the Mac has a lot to do with, like you said, those Tuesday, Wednesday night games. Because if you look at the crowds during those games, I mean, there's a reason why nobody has homecoming on Tuesday night because none of the boosters or none of the regular fans, or I mean, regular fans, I should say non student fans can make it because, you know, they all got jobs. They can't travel. They're not gonna. They're not gonna take the week off to go to a Tuesday, a Tuesday night game against Ohio. So when you and the crowd, the crowd is first of all usually pretty small, and it's almost always way drunk students. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Yeah. And so you know that you know now granted, people are used to seeing that when we show the student section at an Alabama game, but that's on Saturday afternoon. On a Tuesday night, you're like, wow. That kid's going to be way too hungover to take his chemistry <laughs> tomorrow, you know. Um, so, yeah, but I, I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of respect for the Mac. Um, and you would ask me about Temple. I'll tell you, there's two. If you're watching for um, next level guys, there's two guys on Temple. Obviously, uh, their linebacker Tyler uh, Makovich, who's winning just about every linebacker award nationally that there is this year. He had his entire career, his four seasons with the Owls, he had over 100 tackles each one of those four seasons. And he is, if only on special teams, he's going to be playing somewhere and making a difference for somebody uh, in the pros next year. And then they have a wideout named Robbie Anderson, who was academically ineligible last year, came back this year, uh, caught a dozen passes in the uh, loss to Houston in the uh, American Conference Championship game last week, but he's good enough to get an invite to the East-West Shrine uh, coming up in a couple weeks. And so there's two guys on Temple's team that I think people should keep an eye on if they're watching the Boca Raton Bowl. Yeah. Um, we've got, like I said, we've got 40 bowl games and, you know, obviously, you know, guys like us could talk about all of them. And I don't, I don't think, you know, America's ready for us to do that quite yet. Um, just look through the list of games and, and tell me two or three that really just kind of jump out at you. The, uh, the, the TCU, uh, 
the TCU Horn Frogs, I thought, were going to be playing in the playoffs this season. I truly felt after I saw them demolish uh, Ole Miss in their bowl game last year, I really felt that TCU was – they could have written their own tickets before the season even started to being in the Final Four. So the Alamo Bowl uh, against Oregon uh, – Morgan being on a six-game win streak, one of the hottest teams in the country. And TCU, with all their injuries, uh, they still wound up, uh, both teams averaged over 40 points a game, but, but TCU only lost to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So you're talking about a playoff team and a team that, that had their own ticket punched to the playoffs until they stumbled down the stretch. But the Alamo Bowl, I think to me, is the game that I'm going to be sitting closest to the television aside from the ones that are going to lead to the national championship game. Right, and, you know, the, the New Year's Day 6 and the playoff, we'll, we'll get into those here in a little bit. Um, you mentioned TCU. I think TCU wins my award for team that was most fundamentally transformed by losing its star player. Because <laughs> once, once Trevon Boykin got hurt, that was not the same team. It just right. wasn't. You know, Baylor staying in the Big 12, Baylor survived that a couple of times, but, you know, at the end, you can only make so much chicken salad out of chicken shit, if you know you know, if you know know if what I'm saying. Absolutely. Uh, another game that I find intriguing that's outside of the Big Six, um, Penn State, Georgia. And, and the reason why I think it's interesting is because I think you got two teams going in different directions here. Um, I'm a big James Franklin guy. I think he's going to do some really good things at Penn State. I think he needs time to get his guys in place. I mean, I look at that team, and it was pretty obvious. When we went into the season, everybody was talking to me about Christian Hackenberg as possibly a number one overall pick, and I went, no, no, wait, wait, wait. we gotta, we got to, you know, reevaluate that. And, of course, as the season played out, I was proven right. But in time, I think the Penn State program, you know, we all know what that program went through in the last four or five years, but that program is ramping back up, and I think we'll be back at the top of the Big Ten very soon. Georgia, uh, Georgia's going the other way just because here's another team that got fundamentally transformed when Nick Chubb got hurt, and then... And other situations where, you know, they got tired of Mark Rick just winning 10 games every year, so they fired him. And I just, I, all the way back to Bum Phillips and the old Houston Oilers, I have a problem when you fire a guy who's basically successful. I, I, was, I was, you know, personally very upset at the firing of Mark Rick because he's been on, you know, it seems like the hot seat for the last few years, and even at that, it's still been winning football games. It's still been bringing in top quality athletes, and I think it's a case of be careful what you wish for, Georgia, because in a in a highly competitive SEC, um, you know there, you, you know one or two one or two bad recruiting classes or or hiring the wrong guy at the wrong time. Uh, can send your program spiraling downhill a lot faster than you ever dreamed, and so they they definitely um, they definitely were spoiled there. Uh, there was no reason to fire him, in my opinion. Um, I know people quote the you know the lack of you know national championships and, and the SEC titles and all that, but um, 
I, yeah, I agree with you about Georgia. Uh, they, it, it's a shame that Chubb got hurt. Uh, it, they're not, they certainly are not immune to having star running backs get hurt. Uh, you know, <laughs> thing, thing happened with Todd Gurley and so, you know, but it, it's usually next man up there. Um, let me ask you though about Penn State because um, we have differing opinions on James Franklin. Uh, maybe I'm being a little too impatient being a graduate of Penn State, but I, uh, you know, I've been quick to formulate the uh, great recruiter, not so great coach uh, spin on James Franklin, but I'm willing to take a wait and see for another, another season at least. But um, what did you think about uh, him introducing the new offensive coordinator? I don't know if you're familiar uh, with this with this fellow Joe Moorhead, but you know, after I guess uh, you know finishing last in the Big Ten in first downs and, and third down completions, and, and we could talk about Christian Hackenberg too. Um, but but this the new offensive coordinator. Did you think? that the problems at Penn State this year were coaching? Was it a Hackenberg? Is it the easy out and saying the offensive line? I mean, what do you think? Why was why was Penn State not better than 7-5? and five? Um, Well, first of all, your easy out is, is a major, major factor that can't be overlooked. That offensive line may be the worst offensive line I've seen at Penn State in my lifetime. And now, you know, there was not a bigger Joe Paterno fan than me. I was a huge fan of Joe Paterno and his three yards in a cloud of dust offense that usually featured 14 offensive linemen, six fullbacks, and a Sherman tank. And, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, you won. I mean, you know, even in the 2000s, you remember that Penn State-Iowa uh, game where the final score was 6-4. to four. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all it needed was the leather helmets and Ronald Reagan doing play-by-play, and you were in business. Absolutely. But having said that, remember when we got to 2004 in the Paterno era, and we get down to the Indiana game where Penn State's 1-13 in, in its last two years in the Big Ten, and the Joe-must-go crowd has got a legitimate point, and you went into that game knowing that if – if Paterno lost that game, he was probably going to get fired. He wins that game, saves his job. We get to 2005, and all of a sudden now we introduce Galen Hall as the offensive coordinator, and he's mm-hmm. going to plays. And all of a sudden, this Penn State team is throwing more than three forward passes a game. Lo and behold, they're in the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. Why am I bringing up ancient history? Because I think in this case, this team needed that kind of dramatic change Franklin, I don't know if Franklin's an offensive guy. I don't know if he's a defensive guy. I don't know if he's just a recruiter. It's college, whatever. It's hard to tell a guy after two years because his guys are now just freshmen and sophomores, and next year is when his guys will be juniors, and now we'll take on leadership roles and show us what you're actually made of. Moorhead is a guy that I think probably has an offensive scheme that's more tailored to guys. Right. So, when I talk about the offensive line was terrible, it's really hard to do anything when your offensive line is as bad as Penn State's was, which then leads to the second part, which is, yeah, Christian Hackenberg didn't perform, but Christian Hackenberg was running for his life a lot. 
Um, hopefully Moorhead brings an offensive line guy with him or he understands offensive line personnel and concepts and he can make those changes. If he doesn't, then I think that Penn State stays in that five category. And after year three, when we don't see any improvement, we start uh, start talking about uh, putting James Franklin on one of those JFI um, coaches death watches lists. You know? Well, yeah. Well, apparently, uh, apparently, um, uh, ESPN's uh, draft analyst Todd McShay, the, the headlines down here, J Dub, on the last uh, 48 hours or so have been about his comments about Hackenberg and about whether he's going to. Uh, declare for the draft or not, and you know his his basic take on it is he's just not ready. Um, and they were asking him for more detail as to why he thought he had the problems he had this year, and he uh, explained uh, that to some extent he felt that Hackenberg didn't buy into the offense that Franklin had installed when he was hired as head coach, and now the question that Hackenberg has to answer is maybe not so much if he thinks he's ready for the next step or not, but whether this new coaching change from a coordinator standpoint is going to translate fully into a different uh, emphasis on attacking offense. So I guess my question to you is, do you think Hackenberg is going to turn pro, and do you think he should? Well, let me let me start with this. Okay, Christian Hackenberg doesn't buy into the offense as presented by the head coach. Okay, Hackenberg, here's a, here's a concept for you. You're not fucking Peyton Manning, all right? You're a college kid. Listen to the coach. Do what he tells you. You're still learning how to play this game, which brings me to the big point. No, he's not ready for the NFL, okay? He's not, you know. Sit back, play out your last year in college, learn how to play the quarterback position, learn from your coach. You know, James Franklin had an offense that made Vanderbilt competitive in the SEC, which is a minor miracle in and of itself. You might want to look at because he might might know what he's talking about. So um, maybe that over-answered your question. Uh, Maybe it it didn't. But, no, he's, he's not an NFL quarterback. I I thought that at the beginning of the season we were talking about the number one draft pick and I thought that was ridiculous and now as this season played out the way it did I no I I would totally be selling on that so um, with that you got you got any other games in this uh, you know window between uh, now and the big six that uh, you got burning a hole in your tongue um, I thought that. Uh... I, I, I'm not sure what's going on down at Texas A&M. We're getting ready for a Music City Bowl between uh, a 7-5 Louisville team and an 8-4 uh, Texas A&M uh, Aggie team. And, 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 and the Cardinals impressed the heck out of me starting out 0-3 and then coming yep. back. And, and then meanwhile, Texas A&M is losing four of their last seven. And we're wondering, well, why is Texas A&M losing four of their last seven? And we're thinking, well, it's the SEC and – things happen and now we've had two weeks two quarterback departures at texas a&m so this 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 whole thing about transferring which of course we could do a whole uh, podcast on college basketball and the transfer rule there but uh, you don't see as many transfers in college football obviously but 
Um, the, the Aggies have now had two guys in as many weeks leave the program, uh, a freshman and a sophomore, top-ranked, highly sought-after recruits uh, for Kevin uh, Sunderland's team, someone's team. And so um, I'm real interested to see what Texas A&M brings to the table in this bowl game, whether they uh, are, are ready to play or not. Well, let me, let me tell you my thought on this, because I've had two discussions on this, and both times I got told I was out of my mind. And now, you know, I'm used to that. Anybody that's listened to this podcast knows that, you know, I throw out some wild ideas every now and then. And, you know, I, I don't really have as big of a heroin problem as you might think I would from some of the stuff <laughs> we talked about. But um, here's my thought on this. Okay, and it kind of touches on the Hackenberg thing we just talked about a little bit. We have a world in this country in which we have coddled little children athletes who have parents and coaches enable them and keep telling them that, oh, you're the best, you're the best, you're the greatest. Yeah, and then, then these kids get to the Texas A&Ms of the world where they've got an established head coach in Kevin Sumlin, and it's important to notice that we're talking about a freshman and a sophomore here. And I have this bad feeling, and, and nobody wants to – admit this yet but i have this bad feeling that these kids are coming in and they go to the coach and say okay well you know we're going to run the offense i ran in high school right because that's why you recruited me and the coach says uh no i recruited you because i think you can play this offense and then you factor in that you get to watch the peyton mannings of the world go to denver he gets a new head coach and he tells the new head coach you know screw you i'm not running that offense and that right that, kids like the idea that they can get away with that and it's like well when you're Peyton Manning and you're a four-time MVP you got a little cachet to pull off when you're an 18 year old freshman coming into a college and you look at the head coach and say oh no 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 I'm not handing the ball off 25 times a game we're going to throw it the coach says "Uh, I'm the coach you know Mm -hmm. you know and and like I said I don't know if anybody wants to start admitting that yet because it opens up a whole Pandora's box about how we produce football players and how coaches relate to players because, you know, there's always what I like to call the Mark Mangino rule where, you know, here's a guy that got fired because he um, he yelled at people. Well, you know, that's what coaches do. And eventually, right. what is it going to take before we have some snot-nosed kid who has some pain-in-the-ass parents who get recruited to a college and the coach says, yeah, you know what, I'm done with you, and sits him and, you know, the court.
question of the day I have for you is with the 40 bowls that we're talking about and the system that's in place right now, how do we feel about an 11 and 2 North Carolina team playing a 9 and 3 Baylor team in the Russell Athletic Bowl? Who, how do I feel about it? Um, is well, this where is, is this where these teams belong? Meaning, do you think these teams belong in something bigger than that? I'm thinking I'm thinking that, you know, uh, I'm thinking at 5:30 in the afternoon Eastern on December 29th. I'm thinking there's a better showcase for the Tar Heels and the Bears. Well, let's let's inject an ugly reality here and that is when we talked at the beginning of this podcast about, you know, a lot of these games are made for television windows. What kind of fan base do North Carolina and Baylor have outside of their respective areas? Well, I would say North Carolina's case, it would be, if it was a basketball game, we'd be having a much different conversation. But as far as, Baylor, as, far as Baylor is concerned, I think they're high-flying they're high offense, and the fact that ABC's been getting them on at 8 o'clock on Saturday nights for the last few years as often as they can, um, I think that I, I mean, you're talking about a Baylor team that was eight no before they they just ran out of quarterbacks and yep. and and could have very easily been in this playoffs. Uh, North Carolina um, was a uh, maybe an onside kick correct call away from uh, moving down the field and giving Clemson some very uneasy moments. Uh, the alleged number one ranked Clemson Tigers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, uh, the, these two teams, um, I know, I know potentials just, uh, you know, just another word in the dictionary, but I just, I think that that, uh, I just, when we talk about whether there's too many bowls or not, um, you know, if, if half of these bowls go away, this becomes a premier bowl game to watch, and it's in prime time. And it just makes me wonder about, you know, the, the state of the whole system that, 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 that hardly anybody's going to see this game because of when it's on, uh, regardless of size of fan base. I mean, as a secure college football fan, you probably have heard of these two teams during the course of the season, and you'd love to see them play each other. Yeah, I, I get it from that standpoint, but I, I still – I still come back to, you mentioned, okay, ABC's getting Baylor on at 8 o'clock as many times as they can during the regular season. That's because, you know, that they got limited choices then. When you throw the whole world open with 40 bowl games, I mean, North Carolina's a fun team, and I agree with you. They probably should have beat Clemson in that uh, ACC championship game. But I come back to, okay, if I draw, if I draw a 75-mile circle around Waco, Texas, 95% of the people who are going to watch a Baylor game are inside that circle, and only 5% are outside that circle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that, unfortunately, that, that plays a role. But, I mean, to your point, there's a lot of games kind of like that in this, uh, in this slate of bowl games we got. I mean, you mentioned North Carolina Baylor, and I'm, just, I'm not going to dig deep into any of the games I'm mentioning here, but, you know, uh, LSU versus Texas Tech. I mean that, you know, a couple of years ago that could have been that could have been a sugar bowl. I mean, it could have been 
you know, that could have been a big, you know, New Year's Day or closer game. Um, I'm scrolling down the list. Holiday Bowl, USC, Wisconsin. Well, remember 20 years ago when that was a Rose Bowl? Absolutely. It's not anymore. Um, And, you know, having said that, you get into – you know, you get into um, we just we talked about the tax slayer bowl. You know, Penn State, Georgia. Well, you know, there's lots of times that you and I can both remember that was a sugar bowl. In fact, that was mm-hmm. that was the uh, that was the uh, Greg Garrity um, sugar bowl in 1982, and we beat Georgia for the national championship. Take that, Herschel Walker. Um, Absolutely. That was that was the Kurt, Warner, the Kurt Warner the Kurt Warner Nittany Lions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with uh, was that was it? John Schaefer was the quarterback of that team, or were we into Tony Saka by that point? Or no, oh, wait, uh, that was Todd Blackledge. What the hell am I yeah, talking that, about? Yeah, that oh. was Blackledge. That was Blackledge. Yeah, this is the first time that Penn State and Georgia have met since that '83 Sugar Bowl. Yeah, and you know, the you know both Joe Paterno and Vince Dooley are dead. You know, that's you know, that tells you how long that's been. Absolutely, absolutely. But but yeah, one more. I mean. One more thing to jump on what you were saying there is um, there's no accident the TV schedule and the bowl the bowl matchups too with regards to uh, national eyeballs and so you know the, the games that you the games that you just picked off uh, the the prior to New Year's Day I mean you're talking about uh, teams with uh, national recognition and long time national recognition you know the Wisconsin's the USC's and the LSUs. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So now that we've set that up and we're going to talk about teams of national recognition, let's, um, let's, let's get into the, um, the big six and the new year's day stuff and, and the, and the playoffs. And you tell me where you want to start with that with new year's day. Uh, I, to be honest, to be honest with you, the um, Citrus Bowl with Michigan and Florida. Yep. I, I want to see if Jim Harbaugh can get his kids off the mat after that beatdown against our rival Ohio State. I want to see. I want to see if the Wolverines come back as strong as, and I think they will. I think they'll come back, and I think they'll play very well. Um, against the Florida Gator team that, geez, if Will Greer doesn't get that performance enhancement uh, test back positive in October, I don't know where – I don't know if Florida does any more than they wound up doing this year, but um, I'm interested to see how Michigan responds after the beatdown to Ohio State and Florida got – pretty much humiliated against uh, Florida State scoring only a safety. And then they looked even uh, more offensively inept against Alabama, but there's no shame in that either. So um, it looks like a very competitive game, and uh, it, it could it could conceivably be the closest game of the day. I agree with that. And, and you know, talking about teams picking themselves up off the mat, I'm wondering about that with um, – you know, our other, uh, one of our other bloggy partners in crime, Mr. Chris Humphreys from uh, Sports Jump, because he is a dedicated Florida alum, and there is no question that that team got hammered against Florida State. And let's be honest, not a very good Florida State. So I think that that game really does feature two teams that got something to prove, and I think one of them's going to do it, and the other one is 
gonna not in probably possibly a big way. I I don't know. I think I think you're right. It could be a very competitive game. Part of me also says that that could be 31-7 at halftime. I just don't really know what either of those teams are really made out of. I mean, they they played well at, at, at points in the season. They got beat up at other points. You got a whole month to prepare for this game. What do you get? My nudge. My nudge goes towards Harbaugh. He's just he's got the better coaching resume. I think he's the kind of guy that gets players to respond to him. I really don't know much about Jim McElwain. and I don't know what a season at Colorado State does for you in terms of being a big time college head coach. Yeah, I thought that was a strange hire to begin with. Uh but as it turns out, I mean obviously Florida has a pretty good defense, otherwise they'd be more shape than uh than, than they were this year. But, yeah, I agree. I think Michigan's got the advantage there. Um, I, I'm interested to see, though, you know, Florida needs to, needs to uh, up their game from their last couple efforts to end the season here. And so it'll be interesting to see if uh, McElwain gets them up. But I think Michigan is, is definitely the better of the two teams. Okay, and another game, another game I've got in this in New Year's Day. Now this has got to be a, a typo because they're telling me that the Fiesta Bowl on the list I'm looking at is scheduled for a 1 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. Can't be right because that means 11 a.m. in Arizona. I can't believe they would do that. Uh, but either way, the point is, I look at this matchup of Notre Dame versus Ohio State, and I think as much as I do not like this word, I think this is where Notre Dame gets exposed. Um, I think Notre Dame has got every shot to go into this game and lose to Ohio State by 20 points because I've I've never bought Ohio State, or not Ohio State, I've never bought Notre Dame this whole season. And and people keep telling me, oh, well, they got hurt, and then they they lost this guy, and then they lost that guy. Notre Dame, and they're kind of like the St. Louis Cardinals pitching staff. Like, they never had a star. They never had an ace but they had a never-ending supply of number two, number three guys. And so when the guy got hurt, well, just, you know, rip off another paper towel. Here's the next guy. Here's the next number two quality guy. Here's the next quality guy. They don't have any real stars that make me go, yeah, that guy's a game changer. That guy's a difference maker. But you know what? Ohio State does. And after the Michigan State loss, and they had their little moment of butt hurt, but then, you know, They've pretty much been playing some pretty tough football since then, and I think they're going to get in this national TV game, and they're going to prove that what Ohio State is. I I couldn't agree more, and I I mean a hundred percent agree more. I think Ohio State could roll in this game. I think exposed is the perfect word to use to describe what we've been waiting all season. To see, uh, to see Notre Dame as because uh, you know I may be prejudiced, but I think Temple should have beat them. Um, yep. I think that uh, I think that I was so impressed with the way Urban Meyer uh, rallied the troops after um, you know Elliot did uh, Ezekiel Elliott did his little rant about not getting fed the ball enough and the loss to Michigan State. I was so impressed with the way they came out and played against Michigan. Um, uh, I think Urban Meyer is twice the coach of Brian Kelly, if not three times. And um, I think that I think that this has the potential to be one of the least close of the games 
on New Year's Day. I really agree with you 100%. Yeah, I you know, just to, to move on, because I don't think there's much more to talk about with that game than what we've already discussed. I think, I you know, the old you know the old term moral victory, I think moral victory for Notre Dame is if they're within two touchdowns at halftime. Yeah. I really I agree. Okay. The game that I think, you know, we talked about, we talked about Michigan and Florida as something we, we might find interesting. And the one that, uh, the other one that I've got on that list that could be a very, very good football game and could be in the running for maybe the best game of the bowl season. And that's the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. I, I think the Stanford-Iowa matchup is interesting on a whole lot of levels. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I, um, I, I, like I say, it's the, it's the, it's the Vegas overcautious uh, veteran that, that wonders about Stanford's mindset because they're a Pac-12 champion and they came so close to being in the playoff. But you know, the opening season loss to Northwestern and then the two-pointer to Oregon, and, and here they are, you know, sitting on the outside looking in at 11-2. Um, but it is the Rose Bowl, and hopefully the you know that Pac-12 thing will kick in where they're representing their conference, and they're going to come out, and they're going to be on their A game. Um, Iowa, of course, coming off a crushing. I mean, they had the playoffs, and and, and coming off a crushing uh, goal line defeat, literally. Uh, yeah. Michigan yeah. State. And I wonder about their mindset. Once again, you hope that that Big Ten representing, you know, uh, uh, representing the Midwest out on the the, the, the Pac, uh, the Pacific Coast. You hope for, you hope for that those guys to buy into what the history of the Rose Bowl is and and what it means to represent your conference against the other one. Uh, you couldn't probably have two more uh, opposite styles. Uh, in terms of um, Kirk Ferentz, I mean, when we talk about Kirk Ferentz, he was on the ropes. I mean, he was literally one foot out the door a couple of years ago at Iowa. Oh yeah, oh and, yeah. And and David Shaw is one of the hottest guys in in coaching. Whenever a vacancy comes up, everybody throws David Shaw into the mix, and it's amazing just. In, in, in a couple of years, it looks like Kirk Ferentz is back to having job security, and uh, you know, just like David Shaw does. But these, these, it's amazing where these coaches were two, three seasons ago to where they are today. And I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be a, a matchup of chess pieces. And I personally thought um, that Christian McCaffrey was the best player in the country in my opinion, and so I can't wait to see him play again. Um, and like I say, it'll just be it'll just be who has the, the want it more. Um, you know, last year's Rose Bowl was, you know, part of the playoff, and that got completely out of hand with Oregon, you know, just destroying Florida State. So let's hope for the, let's hope for the Rose Bowl's uh, – let's hope for the Rose Bowl State uh, sake that we have a really classic Rose Bowl this year. Well, and, you know, like I said, when we were talking about Penn State and, you know, my, my love of all things, Joe Paterno, and, and when we talk about Stanford and Iowa, I mean, here's two teams that run that kind of an offense where it's, you know, nine offensive linemen, six tight ends, a Sherman tank. I mean, these two teams, 
I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see these two teams come out in leather helmets and actually start drinking <laughs> one style trenches. You know? um, and, you know, a lot of people don't like that kind of football. I can't get enough of it. Like I said, I'm an, I'm an old school guy. Um, but I, that game to me could be the definition of what, you know, Old and when I say old school football, you and I are both old enough to remember what the NFL in like the '60s and '70s looked like when you mm-hmm. still the ball, but you used the run to set up the pass, and it was, you know, it was all about you know ball control and field position and all that stuff that uh, our favorite guy Chip Kelly hates. So, you know, there's another another reason why why I'm interested in it. Um, yeah, no. both, both, both teams both teams like to possess the ball and keep the ball from the other team. And we always hear about, you know, uh, the turnovers being the deciding factor in a football game. This this yep. game will truly, truly be decided by turnovers. Oh, first team that fumbles twice loses. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, a game that could prove to go the other way from that, on uh, New Year's could be the Sugar Bowl with uh, an Oklahoma State Old Miss team that, you know, that matchup could easily turn into one of those 47-45 type ball games. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, because of the type of seasons they have, I wouldn't expect anything less. It may be the highest scoring game of, uh, uh, you know, outside of, uh, you know, possibly uh, TCU and Oregon. I think Mississippi, I, I think the Rebels and the, the Cowboys um, are going to light it up, and I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised. Now this is this is Old Miss's second season in a row facing the Big Twelve team in a major bowl, and I had talked earlier in the show about them losing forty two to three to TCU in the Peach Bowl last year. So uh-huh. they've got they've got that in the back of their heads. Yet they're a touchdown favorite. So. And I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure about that. I I, I think that this is going to be a very competitive, high-scoring game, and uh, it could come down to the final possession. Oh yeah, yeah. This this could easily be you know what we would affectionately call a Big Twelve-style shootout, even though Ole Miss is not in the Big Twelve. Another way I could look at this game is to shift gears just a little bit. You could almost take these two teams and call this the larger-than-life personality bowl. Because if you look at Oklahoma State, this is the school that, in terms of coaches, has brought us Jimmy Johnson and Les Miles, and now Mike, I'm a man, 40, or I'm 40, I'm Mike Gundy. I screwed that up, but, you know, I still got the joke. Old yep. Miss, old Miss, Miss in the last few years brought us one of my personal favorites, the uh, late, great Houston Nutt, uh, mm-hmm. and Ron. And now Hugh Freeze, who is um, an interesting character in his own right. And, and as long as we're talking about Old Miss, we had this story that came out of, I think it was Atlanta in this last week, about their star defensive end, Robert Ngamiche, who yeah. uh, got hopped up on the fake marijuana and then jumped out a window. Um, yeah, and I think, it was, I think it was four stories high, so I was pretty impressed. Uh, you know, with the, with the uh, I don't know what they scored him for the landing. <laughs> well, I think they're going to score him at uh, three to five years. I uh, think... <laughs> but uh, yeah, they uh, you know I think the, the in this game the advantage um, 
that that Ole Miss has that they didn't have last year. TCU had a TCU had a, a let's let's call a voracious uh, appetite for defense last year, which Oklahoma State doesn't share. So um, that's why I think this is going to be a really good game. I think I think uh, both teams are going to have trouble stopping the other. Yeah, I, well, I think you know defense is going to be optional in that game. I, th- I think we agree there. Well, with that. Let's move on to what this is really all about, and let's talk about let's talk about the playoff on New Year's Eve. Um, let's start with the Cotton Bowl, as you alluded to down there in Jarrah World. Um, Alabama, Michigan State, take it. Um, Alabama, is, 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 the, I think the rule of thumb, the rule of thumb in football is if you have the best talent on the field, you just find a way not to screw it up. So, yep. uh, they turned over, the, the Crimson Tide turned over the ball five times against Ole Miss, and that's why they lost. Yep. If they, if they, if they have the attention to detail and they don't screw it up, they win this game. And I think they, I, I, I'm not going to say comfortably, because I don't know what comfortably means to, to different people, but um, you're talking about a defense that has only allowed 13 drives into the red zone since that loss to Old Miss. Um, they also, on offense, have turned the ball over to Derrick Henry and just let him carry the load. So, the only way I see Alabama having a problem in this game is if they turn the ball over or if uh, Michigan State somehow rises up, bows up their necks, and stuffs Henry. And mind you, they just got done stuffing the rushing attacks of Ohio State and Iowa. So it's not, mm-hmm. out, of, it's not out of the question that the Spartans can do that. But if Alabama doesn't turn the ball over, and if Michigan State can't stop Henry, Alabama's got no problem. The problem becomes if they start trying to do trick stuff or, you know, Lane Kiffin does a reverse and they fumble deep in their own territory and State gets a chief score, you know, and State starts to think they can win this thing, then, then it gets a little, a little crazy. But, you know, Nick Saban always beats former assistants by big margins. Uh, I like Alabama. I don't think it's going to be a problem. What are your thoughts? Um, agree with you 158%. Um, the thing, I'm glad you brought up Kiffy Kins, because if anybody can fuck this up for Alabama, it's Lane Kiffin. Um, agree. The one knock I have on Alabama, and we saw this in the, in the Old Miss game, and we really haven't had many other opportunities to see it, and that is – when they run their offense the way they like to run it with, you know, just Derrick Henry as their bell cow, that means they aren't prepared to try and come back from a two-score deficit. Agreed. They're, just, they're not. They can't do it. And that's when Kiffy Kins will pull out the cute shit like the reverse and, and, and those sorts of things. And so, like you said, if for some reason we get a blocked field goal returned for a touchdown or we get the cheap pick six like uh, – like the Eagles got against the Patriots, those are game changers. And when you put a team like Alabama in a situation that they're not used to on a neutral field, anything's possible. Now, that's really drawn to an inside straight at this point. I, like you said, I think Alabama has just 
better talent across the board. I think you're going to see a lot of those Alabama guys playing on Sundays. There's going to be a few from Michigan State, too. Don't get me wrong. That's a talented team. but Absolutely. I've been saying since since day one on the blog over at dubsism.wordpress.com, Alabama the best team in the country until somebody beats them. And just, so, um, so that that means you and I are both. We're going to pencil Alabama into the championship game. Let's talk about who they might face. Either the, as you said, and also <laughs> with the allegedly um, number one Clemson Tigers versus uh, the Oklahoma Sooners. Well, the, the uh, I like the Sooners. Um, and that's why I use the word allegedly for Clemson. Um, you know, it, it, it looks like Oklahoma, uh, whether it was Bob Stoops driven or offensive coordinator driven, it looks like they had a meeting of the minds uh, after that Red River rivalry loss to Texas, which no one can still explain. Um, they went to a two-back offense, and that changed their entire year. Uh, they uh, this kid Baker Mayfield, their quarterback, is mm-hmm. tough, tough and gutsy as they come. You know they've won, they've won seven in a row. Uh, and then there's their defense, which is averaging just over three sacks a game, fifth best in the that's a fifth best record in the country in that regard. Um, I you know Deshaun Watson is a dynamic playmaker. Um, Clemson gets credit for a fantastic season. Uh, they, they, uh, I saw a stat where Clemson leads the nation in winning possessions, which they describe as where an offensive drive either ends in a score or a defensive drive ends in a stop. But that's in the ACC. And, and <laughs> exactly. even, even and even in the championship game against North Carolina, they were exposed to having all sorts of issues. Um, now, maybe that was because the Tar Heels happened to be third in that winning possessions category, but then that takes me right back to the competition. Um, Clemson is not – Clemson's going to probably be eventually worn down uh, realizing what they're up against in this game. It may start out looking like an even contest, but I don't – Oklahoma losing this game. Well, let me let me just touch on something real quick, and, and that is when you talk about Oklahoma and that Texas loss, parallels there to the Alabama Old Miss loss, and that is great teams make adjustments. And in Alabama, it was pretty easy to figure out. Hey, don't turn the ball over. You know, if we protect the football, nobody can beat us. With Oklahoma, it was about, you know what, don't let other teams dictate the pace of the game. And if Oklahoma can control the pace of the game, which they're going to do with that two-back offense and with Baker Mayfield, that's still a ball-control offense, even though Baker Mayfield should have been should have been on the stage at the uh, Downtown Athletic Club as a Heisman finalist. I, I can make you an argument that he belonged there more so than did Deshaun Watson. Um, and I think in the poll had on Dubsism, Baker Mayfield did in fact finish in front of Deshaun Watson. But having said all that, having said all that, the big thing that concerns me about Clemson in a matchup with Oklahoma is Oklahoma, that offense, they got playmakers. There's those two running backs, there's Baker Mayfield, 
You look at the other side with Clemson, what do they have besides Deshaun Watson that makes you go, yeah, that guy can change the game? Right, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Um, And so, you know, having said that, Clemson is another team that looks to me like they can't play somebody tough and they would struggle when behind somebody. And my point for that is the Notre Dame game where they damn near got beat by a team that is not as good as they are in their own stadium. You can make an argument that they really should have lost that game. Yep. And, you know, when when what we just said about Notre Dame and what my feelings about Notre Dame are, I got a really hard time considering you as a national championship caliber team when you struggled to beat them and they came into that game hurt. They'd already lost their star quarterback. They came into that game and they're on the road. They hadn't been tested yet. To me, that's the situation where on national television, a team that may not be getting respect, because a lot of people call me a Clemson hater, even though they're number one, and it's like I can't deal with number one in the ACC because the ACC, the only team that ever really matters in the ACC is Florida State, and that's a <laughs> good, and Florida State's not good. And so Clemson's like, well, they're number one, they're undefeated. Yeah, but like you said, it's in the ACC. So if you wanted me to buy in to how great Clemson is, that's when you just seal Club Notre Dame on national television. You put them down 41-3, to and I'm like, okay, now I'm in. Okay, I'm listening. Show me, show me what you got. But almost losing to that team, almost giving it to Carolina, you know, showing me some really – not impressive performances against a lot of really not impressive ACC teams. Sorry, neutral site against Oklahoma. I, if if you force me to bet my paycheck on it, I'm not putting it on Clemson. Absolutely, I agree, 100. percent So that brings us to a matchup of championship game Alabama Oklahoma. If that happens, who you got? I got Alabama, um, and uh, aside from all the aforementioned reasons why I think they'll defeat Michigan State, um, their quarterback, Jake Coker, probably is the most improved player on that team since the season began. Um, After being benched early on, he's been steady. Uh, I don't like to use the phrase game manager, but obviously just handing the ball off to Henry. Uh, that's what he's been doing. There, of course, is a concern that if Alabama is in a tight game and they do get time, um, are they prepared to throw the football? Are they prepared to do different things instead of just hand off to their 240-pound running back? But the guy is completing over 65% of his passes. Uh, he's only thrown eight six. Um, I think in in this instance, it's going to come down to his steadiness. And like you alluded to earlier, they're not the kind of team that comes back easily or has had a lot of practice coming back easily from being a couple scores down or or being in a tight situation uh, under the gun with all the the stakes that are going to be uh, on the line here. So, um, the the only concern if they had gotten down early if Oklahoma had a couple quick hitting scores and like you said, Crazy Lane goes to the playbook 
and they start getting outside of what they do best, if they stick to if they stick to running the ball and playing stout defense, um, I think Alabama, you know, will be fine. Um, but on the other hand, Duke, uh, you know, he he relishes getting the shot at the SEC, and they haven't won a you know a national championship there in a while, so they're going to be fired up. Um, in in a championship game, a lot of times you have to look back and see how the teams did in their prior game coming out of it physically. So making the assumption that those teams come out of it healthy and uh, and all things being equal, I think Alabama wins it by a touchdown, maybe ten points, maybe. The only the only thing I would add to that is that if this game if this game plays out the way that we think it does, then it's kind of hard to build a case against Alabama, especially since I you know gave them the the, the belt of being you know the best team until somebody beats them. Having said that, I think matchup wise, just the way the Oklahoma offense goes about doing what it does that this is another game that we talked about in terms of, like, Stanford and Iowa, where, you know, the first team that really shoots themselves in the foot with mistakes is the one that's going to lose. Yeah. And, and both of those teams have shown that on a big stage in front of a hostile crowd, they can do it. And you know, does the fa- does which fan base travels more, does that come into play? Or, you know... Does one team lose the momentum up front and they just can't get it back? Um, like I said, if, if there's a team in this game that gets out to a two-score lead early, it could be a whole new ball game because, as we said, I don't think either one of them really can play catch-up. Um, that's just presenting the scenarios where I see what we both think is going to happen where it doesn't happen. I think the scenario is we have a, a game that stays within two scores. We have a game that, you know, what happens in the fourth quarter is going to matter. You see you see a 10-point win for Alabama. I can see this more in the 3-7 to seven range. I, I think that, you know, this game could easily come down to a field goal with about 20 seconds left to go. Um, I think these two teams are a lot more evenly matched than people think they are. But at the end of the day... I still got to go Bama. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. All right. So that pretty much takes us through the entirety of the college bowl season. Bruce, you got any last things you want to, you want to toss in? Uh, no, I just hope that everybody enjoys, uh, enjoys the holidays, enjoys the bowl games. And, uh, you know, even though, uh, we may have some teams here who, uh, are are less than deserving and didn't have the greatest season. Hopefully, they'll provide a lot of entertainment and the kids will have fun and uh, and and we'll see a lot of uh, a lot of good, close, competitive football. All right, and uh, I'd like to thank you for your time joining us to talk a little college football today. Um, plug your blog real quick. Uh, well, sportsattitudes.wordpress.com. Uh, is where I try and provide a uh, topical take on national, pro, and college sports, and uh, obviously sneak in some silly posts from now and then, all presented uh, 
in hopefully as an engaging and entertaining style as you'll find. And uh, it's never predictable. You never know when it's going to pop up there. So hopefully it's worthy of a follow. And uh, obviously I will be uh, commenting on your comments if you choose to do so. And that's at sportsattitude.wordpress.com. And my email address is there as well. All right. Well, again, like to thank you for your time. Great as always to talk to you. We got to do this again. Maybe uh, we get a little bit uh, further into spring. We can talk. I know you like the Premier League. Uh, are you a Champions League guy at all? To change this to the other kind of football? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I have been doing pretty good on my Champions League poll. I've been uh, I've been picking. Uh, been picking it almost a sixty percent rate on uh, on uh, winners, so I've been uh, I've been following it, and now we're down to uh, down to round of sixteen, and we'll be getting underway with that, I guess, in uh, February. And so I do I do I dabble in my my foot in the Champions League. I'm still uh, still pretty much paying just attention to the Premier League, but. Um, I try and stay up on the soccer as much as I can. Now that college hoops has started, it's gotten a little harder because that's my true love. But uh, I know you, I know you're a big soccer fan, and so we'll definitely have to, we'll definitely have to chat on that someday down the road. All right. Well, with that, thank you for your time, and uh, we will make sure that we get you back on Radio J Dub real soon. Thank you, J Dub, and I want to wish uh, you and all of your listeners the best of holidays. All right. Thanks a lot, Bruce. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. He's Bruce Burns from sportsattitudes.wordpress.com. It's an interesting blog. Like he said, check it out. It's been featured on Freshly Pressed, which means he's a far more worthwhile and talented writer than I am. Anyway, having said that, check out his blog. Check out uh, some of the other blogs on the uh, blog roll at uh, dubsism.wordpress.com like to thank Bruce for uh, spending time talking to us about college football. He is a Philadelphia Eagle fan. He's a college basketball fan. He's an enthusiast like myself of the English Premier League, and he's an all-around good guy, which is why we're a bit amazed he keeps showing up on this podcast. This podcast, Radio J-Dub, as always, the audio incarnation of the most interesting independent sports blog on the web, dubsism.wordpress.com. Drop by, check us out, give us a like, give us a thumbs up, give us a thumbs down, give us something. If you're a fan of this podcast, download it on multiple devices, give us a like or a rating on the podcatcher of your choice. Podcast is starting to grow and we would really like to keep it that way. I would like to say a big thanks to all of our listeners and supporters. And since we probably will not be talking to you before the holiday, enjoy the season, enjoy your sports. May happiness and all kinds of good stuff be with you. Until next time. If you have a problem with anything you heard on Radio J-Dub, feel free to contact our complaint department at 1-800-SUCK-A-DICK. You do that and I'll kill you. You talking to me? You talking to me?
truck of shit. You can't handle the truth.